0: Hey Wicked Spursy listeners, it's Dave. Excited this week to share a two-part series of episodes with you on sports science and how it's evolved and what it looks like in practice today. We have three special guests with us. Gina Younts, who serves in a high school environment in the U.S., Nixon-Dorvillian, who um, has experience both in the professional sports space and college university space, and Dr. Jeremy Bettle, who um, has lots of experience in a number of different arenas, primarily focused in the university and professional ranks. Good conversation. We'll release uh, episode two of this tomorrow, and hope you enjoy. Thanks.
1: What time is it? It's time for Rick at
0: Wicked Spursy, Mike, Steve, and Dave. Got some special guests we're going to introduce you to momentarily, but first,
1: Steve, how you doing, buddy? I'm fantastic, Dave. I've made it through my busy week of the month uh, work-wise, and I've sort of forgotten what's happened in the last seven days. Um, So I guess the international break came at a good time because I, my my brain is all over the place so you're you're going to be looking for a real fun uh, conversation for me tonight because scatterbrained so- is probably the adjective i'd use for me right now and it's not going to help that i've got this delicious elderberry goza that i'm drinking too i'll be very all over nice. the place it's very be nice fun fun time
0: quick question when when is the trophy presentation for your uh your league dominating uh third and fourth grade outfit
1: uh I did a little mini ceremony in the lodge um you know we had to come inside because it was downpouring uh when the season wrapped up but uh yeah I lined all the kids up gave them their medals gave them a little uh you know good for you this is what I saw this is what I liked you know great job keep it up good luck in the future that sort of thing um it was a great time everybody loves coach Leslie. steve it well was done. really weird like out of the corner of your eye catch parents like filming you giving their kid like their metal and and little uh, pep talk wasn't sure how I'd feel about that but you know I just ignored it did my thing and uh, everybody seemed happy for it so
2: very nice how about you Mike how you doing man I'm doing pretty good Dave Uh, I just want you to know that I did just watch the Beckham documentary so I made sure that after Lucas's game on Sunday that I told him how disappointed I was in him (laughs)
0: <laughs> all right what did you think what did you think of the of that doc we beth and i finished it the other day as well
2: um you know something that i kind of already knew is that the european press uh, are kind of uh disgusting um and <laughs> the way that they treat their their celebrities and their athletes um european and that uh and that i have kind of a newfound respect for david david beckham like that i didn't that i didn't know um i should have had you know he's definitely he's definitely um and obviously this is, it's not like this was a hit piece type of a documentary. It was a, you know, it was, it, it was from the perspective of David and. Yeah, and it Victoria was theirs. And, yeah, for sure. You know, and, but I mean, it they didn't, they didn't lay off any of the criticisms of any of the, uh, the primary characters in the, in the documentary. So I think that um, obviously it being from their perspective, I thought it was great. And I do have a new, newfound respect for him, uh, especially as a, as a family man.
0: Yeah, candidly, I, I was. Um, you know, I, I remember all of those things happening. Like I, I'm roughly the same age as David, David Beckham, so I remember kind of watching that from afar as just a a guy in the U. S. who heard about this dude going through that stuff and and marrying a Spice Girl and whatnot. I thought it was interesting. Interesting how they handled the infidelity stuff, right? Like they they acknowledged it for the most part but then they also kind of said like this is our private stuff. Um their their relationship has clearly persevered through a lot of brutal, you know, public flogging if you will that they've experienced and uh with celebrities just a relationship persevering is its own unique thing. So yeah, I I too walked away with kind of a I I'm I'm intrigued by them interested in them and thought it was a was a cool well done production. But question you Dave? Yeah. How, does
1: it feel, <laughs> yeah. how does it feel to be the same age as David Beckham? You know, I, I actually um, am. So
2: I, we were born very close to each other. Yeah. Yeah. You I, guys are uh, not pro, I Not I, in not proximity. But in
0: I'm not sure if I'd rather be the same age or as, as good looking as he is. I think I'd take the latter, but you know, I'll, I'll take closer <laughs> in age to old Davy boy and, and, and the shared name, which is less and less common these days.
2: I got, enough. I got the looks here, you know, <laughs> Absolutely. And Wicked Spursy land.
0: Hey, enough about us. Let's talk about our, our special folks who joined us. So we are joined by, by, Three individuals that come from different different uh places, um, roles, experiences, et cetera. But but the, the common link is sports science and uh and they also are all just huge fans of Wicked Spursy. Actually, can't say that yet, but hoping that'll be the case. So <laughs> so I'm I'm we'll excited. There. I'm excited to introduce to you a, a longtime friend of the, of the podcast, my very own sister Gina, who's with us. So we're glad to have her um my, my good friend Nixon who uh is gonna tell you about himself in a, in a few moments and our new friend Jeremy who we're also really happy to to have with us so uh let's do some quick intros so Gina Nixon Jeremy let's do like just tell us a little bit about yourself and the who's your football club if you have one and how did you um how did you come to to be a supporter of that club Nixon let's start with you what uh what do you got for us
3: oh uh, you threw doing me on the spot okay. absolutely okay give you a little backstory so growing up being originally from bahamas um there wasn't a lot of soccer you know grow, football growing up back home there wasn't but me with a haitian background my parents are from haiti every time my cousins would come to visit from haiti they would grab our basketball or our volleyball and they would start playing soccer with it and kick 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 kick. you know so it drove me crazy and then till my mom sat me down and and said you know Haiti actually was in the World Cup final against Italy and they lost um, back in, I think, 76, I think it was. Anyways, but anyways, but so that was the, you know, hey, wait, soccer, you know, it's it's a big deal. So uh, football is a big deal. So that was my first Just uh,
4: to interrupt real quick his mom and his aunt actually referenced that last weekend when I was in town uh, oh, playing man. in the world cup final yeah you're wow you're, I didn't even know yes. <laughs> so it was either so it really meant a lot to them because in 2023 they literally referenced it was it last weekend
3: yeah <laughs> yeah you were here last weekend so so that's that's um a little bit of my but I have a little and I'll tell you more but I have a little bit of PTSD because in it was in 1994 when Brazil was in the World Cup and they ended up losing I'll never forget they blacked out the game they didn't put the game on TV they put all the other games on but the final they didn't black, they didn't um put it on TV and I just remember there was almost a, a riot going on in the islands everyone was going to go back to the TV station and um you know talk to the powers to be because you know there was no World Cup on but anyway okay, that's it. So I grew up so I grew up you know when I was in college, I'd wake up every morning and the the matches were on, you know, and I would just remember I just enjoyed watching them. so uh I I kind of like Chelsea a little bit to be honest, you know i will just be honest about that especially after going and visiting Jeremy remember we made the trip mm-hmm. and toward the facility we met some of the, you know, players and people it was really cool so you know i kind of felt you know a little then they gave me a jersey i got a jersey too from them so you know i'm a little bit of chelsea so guys don't beat me up i'm sorry yeah right?
0: nixon it's been great to have you on the podcast uh yeah. we'll talk to you next time
3: <laughs> <laughs> but hey would it be wicked spursy you know hey i did work for the spurs so you know i was gonna <laughs> yeah i so technically i'm I'm in, you know, Uh, I'm in uh,
0: for clarity, which Spurs did you work for? I just wanted to make sure we address that.
3: Antonio's Spurs basketball club. That's the one (laughs) one I, or, you know, the other Spurs, the other Spurs, yeah. The other Spurs, but
0: the ones with a few more, a few more trophies in their uh, trophy case than our Spurs, but that's, (laughs) that's soon (laughs) to be resolved.
3: Yeah. 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 But I did enjoy the game at Fulham where we went to watch Fulham play and, you know, uh, we had tea and cake at halftime. So Oh, great experience we went over there I'll never forget that one so that's right. kind of where we're at
0: so it is, it is good to have you sir thanks for thanks for being with us, gina how about you uh quick intro and we i think we know which team you support but i'd love to hear your version of that <laughs>
4: um i am dave's favorite sister as you all know and <laughs> i have spent most of my life not being a soccer fan because My work setting is a high school and I've watched just really bad soccer for 20 years and it, it gets hard (laughs) three levels of varsity JV and freshman. It's hard to sit there and watch bad soccer and be entertained. Um, but probably I would say the pandemic Dave, wouldn't you say I kind of started taking the time, um, Dave just wanted to talk about it and I had nothing but time to listen to him and, and watch the games. (laughs) So
1: sorry. And
4: And then I realized like, Hey, if I watch these games and talk to Dave about the Spurs, he buys me gear. So (laughs) I'm getting good gear for gifts since then. So that's kind of how I fell into Tottenham. He's also made me a white Sox fan and it's, it's hard, tough times out there, but
0: not the best, not the best brother in the world. (laughs) When you put it in that perspective, but you're, it's it's great to have you here. Thanks for thanks for joining us. And uh and I, and I was
4: also wondering am I the first female ever on Wicked Spursy?
0: So I hate to burst your bubble. Actually, our first one of our first guests was was a woman. Um
4: that might have we, been before I became an advent. Yeah,
0: it was when we first started doing the pod. She she was with the Albany Spurs uh supporters okay. group. I think her name was Katie if I remember correctly. And I and and right. Katie I, I think still listens to uh to the pod because I've seen some some stuff online from her. So yeah, you would be the second um, the second woman. But
1: shout out to Katie then. The first sibling at least. The, f- the <laughs> first
0: first sibling on on Wicked Spursy. He got it. You don't want my, my sister, sister on this.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good to have you here though, Gene and uh, Jeremy. Over to you, sir. Uh, tell us about yourself and tell us about your uh, your club affinity, if you would.
5: Yeah, so uh, originally from Leicester in England, um, but my mom's whole family's from Manchester. And so inherited Manchester United from uh, my grandma and granddad at a very young age. But, you know, I actually grew up playing rugby and, and in the UK it's sort of you're either rugby or football. Um, and so then moved to the States in 2003. And that's when I really became a football fan, um, essentially because there was no rugby to watch. right? Mm-hmm. It just wasn't on the TV over here until the last few years. But the Premier League was on and so it's got super into it. You know, and uh, and that's when I really, really started enjoying it. But you know, it was um, something I'm sure you guys will love hearing about. You know, growing up, just winning all these trophies. You know, it was just unbelievable. You know, it's uh, <laughs> not, I, not, I familiar. A not, not familiar. No, I was a little confused when Steve started his story about you know, like winning these trophies I'm like hang on I thought it was on a Spurs podcast site like,
1: <laughs> my, my third and fourth graders they yeah well had... that made much more
5: sense as you as you got into the story you know like
1: <laughs> yeah it turns out uh when you coach a very niche rec soccer group in <laughs> yeah. northern Vermont uh, yeah and you actually know what you're doing it, it does make things a little bit unfair <laughs>
5: yeah yeah yeah
0: so Jeremy, uh, Mike referenced that that Beckham documentary. So first, have you had a chance to watch that? And second, yes. um, yeah. So what? What you know, being more closely from that era and area, how how yeah. did that sit with you?
5: Well, yeah, just watched it all play out at, at the time, and you know, it, it's just it's a very common story in the UK. You know, with our our athletes, our celebrities, it's just the the way the press just tear them down. It's just it, it, it's really disgusting. You know, and so he, at the time, just remember feeling for for David and and his family, like everything they were going through, like it was it was brutal, like just unbelievable to watch them go through it. And and I think what I didn't realize at the time, because I was pretty young then, was that he was like 22 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't like you know he's a 35, 40 year old man. You know, dealing with this. You know, he's 22. He's he's playing for his country. He's he's had you know, one little random act, you know, that's sort of out of character from the guy and he's just vilified and he's a wonderful human being, like a wonderful human being. Like I've, I've heard stories from when he was an under 21 England internationalist, the captain, and it was one of the press guys, um, birthdays or anniversaries or his wife's birthday. David showed up at his room on a team day off, took his kids out for the day, babysat for his kids (laughs) as the England captain for the the youth team. So this guy could have the day with his wife. Right. You know. Uh These are the things that he does. And then even like, you know, when when we played Miami, when I was with with NYCFC, you know, David's there, he's on the, the field and he's shaking hands with everybody on the field, like going around, like actively, cause, you know, all the staff and coaches are on the field after the game, you know, um, and he's a, a full part of that. And he's, he's got, I turn around, he's got one of our coaches phones in his hand and he's recording a message from his mom. Cause he's from Manchester. Right. And he, he's like, Hey, you know, just wanted to say hello. I'm here with Dan. And, you know, just, just taking time out, you know, and just, just as big a guy as he is, as big a celebrity, you know, just what a, a wonderful guy. So I think some of that came across in the documentary and, um and, I, I you know, I just think it, it showed him in a really good light, you know, but, but not, not falsely. So, you know, I think is the, the point I'm trying to make. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Great perspective. Thanks. Thanks for sharing
5: that. <laughs> That's good stuff.
0: All right. Let's get to, uh, let's get to what we're, we're here to talk about. Um, And I, I would, I would just encourage the, the whole group to feel free to anyone jump in at any point in time, but I guess the, The visual I have in my mind is, you know, um, many sports fans also have some experience playing sports. It's kind of like I used to be in the education business. And one of the biggest flaws of that is everybody went to school. So everybody thinks they know something about how school is supposed to work, right? Because everybody went. And Um, sports fans that have played sports all think that they know how everything's supposed to work as well. So when I I flash back on my high school experience, and Gina knows the the guys I'm going to talk about, when I would sprain my ankle playing American football, the coach would literally hand you a Home Depot bucket and say, go fill that up with ice and water. And put your foot in it and let us know when you can play again. Like that was, that was it. That was the extent of, of the support you got as as an athlete. And we know that even at the levels like that, you know, that has changed significantly. I'd love to hear kind of what's, what does that evolution of sports science look like from when it didn't exist in lower levels, but it did at the higher levels of sport to kind of where that sits now what does that what does that kind of uh pattern look like over the past maybe couple decades if i'm if i'm painting a picture uh correctly with that anybody want to take a shot
4: i i can start that because i still do work at that lowest level i'll call it we still fight that mentality um because the cultures are old school like it's, I still have kids coming in saying I did the ice bucket or my grandma told me to up some salt tonight. Um, everybody, I didn't get water when I was a kid. I don't know why all these kids need stuff. Like it's really still a mentality of a lot of these coaches. So from an education standpoint, we're constantly trying to explain why we do the things we do. Um, I'm sure Nixon and Jeremy have a different clientele they're dealing with, but I'm dealing with minors whose parents at home are the ones dictating what's happening and it is it's still hard it's hard to overcome those those old traditions and things we all grew up doing even though science proves otherwise and you could talk to your blue in the face about evidence and the science and and my population is hard hard to come around
0: and, and Gina, for, for context, for anybody listening, you're, you're in a high school environment, but you do have a couple of full-time training staff. And, so and, and that spectrum times, is yeah. like, there are, there are schools that outsource their training just Correct. at, at events. So right. We're, and they're, we're they're, well
4: off compared to a lot of, high, there's two of us sure. full-time athletic trainers. It's a big school. It's over 3,600 kids. Um, but it, yeah. So we're not, it's not brand new there, but it's mm-hmm. getting people to buy into what you're doing. Um, and so yeah, our kids have it good. And the ones who come back from programs less than D1 are like, oh, you guys are better than my college trainers. Well, you also need to realize your college trainer has two people responsible for 20 entire athletic programs and traveling and all these things that they just can't do a good job. Like it's gotcha. not necessarily yeah. their fault. It's the setting. So so our kids do have it good, but we're still fighting the old, the old myths and the old theories and grandpa and grandma and yeah. I mean you I, I get gotta say stuff from like like the the Mexican grandmas and Filipino grandmas have some fantastic things that honestly probably work better than what America does, but yeah. it's just not normal and no science and all of that.
1: Yeah, I gotta say I was actually impressed um when I did the uh Rec soccer coaching this year that they explicitly stated in the rules, you know, we're not heading the ball. Like this is not a healthy thing for kids to be doing at this age. Um, except, you know, with third and fourth graders, that was an easy conversation. Why can't I head the ball? Because I'm your coach and I told you not to right. end a discussion. Like you, you don't have to argue with me. You're just going to do it. And your parents are going to have my back because I'm taking care of their kid for an hour and they don't have to deal with it. So <laughs> Nice. But but still, you know, it's one of those things where I don't know if if I would have seen that if I did this, you know, even five, 10 years ago.
4: Correct. It, it, it's
3: all evolving for sure.
0: Nixon, Nixon and Jeremy, you guys work in different levels of sport. What does that look like across the, the decades for you?
3: So uh to piggyback off of yancey um, the way I would say is so in our setting, in the university setting where I'm at right now, it's just a little bit different from what Gina's experienced. And even though sometimes we get the curveballs from, you know, the parents that get involved a little bit, but it's fine. We do a great job of educating them. At my level, at the university setting, what I find is um, for me, it's just real important of like building a relationship with the parents and then mm-hmm. the care that the students are going to have. And when I let them know that there's, it's not just me, right? It's like a team of 20 people that if I'm stuck on something, there's a resource that I can go to, you know, to, you know, a specialist that's with a different team that can help. So that's one thing that's for me, I build that trust. And then two, I, my approach is, hey, one, first thing we do is respect the biology, right? Whenever there's an injury, you know, obviously there's tons of research that's going on and, you know, like you said, things are continuing to evolve. So that's one thing we do. So I have, um, in my downtime, I'm a nerd. So I love reading anything science. So like, I just love reading anything science or anything related to performance. So I'm always trying to see, okay, what's best course of treatment for, boom, ankle instability. What's best course of treatment for you know, shoulder um, instability, or whatever that's going on. But when when that happens, I also let the parents know, in addition to the students, hey, each of you guys are very, um, everyone's different. I'm not gonna, I can't treat everybody the exact same. You know, um, for example, you know, for, and this is just random, I'll, I'll just use this for example. Like somebody would say, hey, you know, can those cups, that, you know, using cupping, that really helps me, you know, and then on athlete A, athlete B, to will be like, hey, don't use that on me. Like, that thing don't work. I tried it once. And so it's just everything's so different. And I really try to individualize care, you know, for the students, but I don't do it myself. Like, that's one thing. That's a little different from my setting compared to Yanti's setting. Like her setting is, you know, she's going through three, four hundred athletes, uh, you know, by herself a day. Well, her and Maddie they're going through it by a day. Whereas I, I'm, I have twelve guys to take care of, and you know, I have tons of resources. If I ever get in a jam, I can walk over to another building and grab another therapist to help me, or you know, athletic trainer to help me. And so it's just my setting is just a little bit different, but. I would say like how I said, I see things evolve is just that, you know, it's kind of up to the clinician or the practitioner to just really stay ahead of the curve and not fall for, you know, some of the snake oil stuff that's out there,
4: mm.
3: you know, because people are out there promising, you know, that they can heal this, heal that, but, you know, again, respect the biology, you know, really collaborate with your um, team to give the best course of treatment to whoever um, athlete or individual you're caring for. That's just my take on it.
0: Nixon, two things come to mind. First, you just made me think of, uh, oh, man, this is probably 10, 12, 15 years ago. You remember those those little uh, bands with like the uh, mm-hmm. the magnets in them? Yeah. <laughs> I swear those worked for a while.
2: Um, but, <laughs> First, but, <laughs> but, but hey. They, the, they still work for my dad, that and the, the, copper, the copper knee brace. Nice, (laughs) or the or the the
0: inserts in your shoes, right? The uh, all that good stuff. Nixon, I'm curious. You mentioned parents, which is something I didn't think about. Mm -hmm. You know, at at the higher ed level. So, like, if if you've got a, let's just say, you've got a 20 year old athlete that you're you're rehabbing (laughs) on something. So Mm -hmm. you're you're engaging with the parents in that process as well. Or what's that look like?
3: Yeah, for me, I do, and the reason is it's kind of selfish for me because sometimes the parents are going to give you information that's really important that the students probably give you you sure. know yeah, yeah. and on top of that I don't necessarily want a worried parent so I just embrace them and kind of make them a part of it and then if you do that from the beginning then you won't have anybody questioning you because they'll know that this guy actually really has the best interest of my child at heart so you know mm-hmm. that's how I do it and I just embrace them I'm not standoffish with any parents and you know, usually when you do that, you get really nice thank you cards at the end of the treatment or, you know, they send you a nice gift basket, you know, because sometimes parents just want to be involved, you know. Yeah. So.
0: <laughs> Very true. As a parent of college age kids, I, I concur. Absolutely. Jeremy, how about over to you a, at your level of sport? What's a uh, what's this all look like? And how's it changed over the last couple decades?
5: Yeah, I, I think it's been really interesting. I've done. Um, college and then three different professional leagues. So it's it's interesting to see the differences as you go between levels and, and leagues. Um, I think if I take sort of like a, a higher, more systems level view, that's sort of where I've been operating the last 10 years or so of my career uh, as a performance director is referring to that team that Nixon sort of brought up is, is what I think we've seen is you going from systems where as you come up through levels, maybe you've got your athletic trainer, then at the next level, you've got your athletic trainer and your strength coach, and then you keep going and you've got more ATs and more strength coaches, you know, and and I think we we developed in that way for a while. And we had most often than not, even at the professional level two silos, right? You've got sports medicine and you've got uh, strength conditioning and Mm -hmm. they're they're constantly going like this, right? You've got one trying to put the brakes on one trying to put the gas on you know both thinking they're they're right you know mm-hmm. and the truth being right in the middle right mm-hmm. and so that that's sort of where we sat for a long time what we're seeing now is is an evolution where some of those roles that we had as strength coaches and as and as ATs we're getting more and more specialization so now we've got physical therapy coming in alongside uh, ATs. We've got massage therapy coming in. Um, so we're starting to see different specialties in sports medicine, as well as on the strength and conditioning side. Now we've got full-time nutritionists coming in. We've got data scientists. We've got your conditioning guys. You've got your weights guys, you know, your, your corrective rehab type guys. So people's scopes of their roles are starting to become narrower but they're getting deeper and deeper and deeper, right? So you're getting real deep expertise within very specialist areas. Mm. And then we're starting to add in now layers of objective data, right? So we're monitoring every movement they take on the field. We're measuring heart rate, we're measuring uh, their biomechanics in the weight room, you know, through 3D motion capture, force plates in the ground, um, different isometric sort of strength measurements, right? So. Now we're starting to be able to measure outcomes, right? So did your treatment work? Did your strength program work? How much volume of work have you done this week? Um, You know, How many sprints? How many decelerations? How many changes of direction? All these different factors are now going in. And so we're flooding the market or flooding the teams with data. And now we're starting to, to see an evolution of, okay, well, what does it mean? What do we do about it? And that's sort of where my role as a performance director came in, where you sort of have now one person to sit above that team and coordinate the response, right? So how are we going to work as a group with this data, with the coaching staff, with the front office? And because injury prevention and and sports science, the data is only useful if it changes someone's behavior, right? Usually coach or GM, right? And so, we're collecting this data to drive behavior change. Like did practice get modified? Did, did our, our strategy on recruitment get modified based on how we're actually measuring this stuff? Mm-hmm. And then is the athlete seeing the right person at the right time, right? So it's not now, is it sports medicine or is it strength and conditioning? It's when and both, <laughs> <laughs> right? So everybody mm-hmm. needs the input, right? And so how do you coordinate that response between practitioners I think has become a uh, sort of an art form uh, on guiding the athlete through the system and, and out onto the field and, and keeping them healthy.
0: Nice. Hey, when Jeremy, when you start talking data, I see Steve's uh, antenna perk up. So Steve, what's, <laughs> what's going through your mind as you, as you hear that?
1: Well, I mean, uh, that comment about data is it's that's my life, right? Like mm-hmm. data is only as good as, you know, what you can do with it, what you can act on. Um, so just hearing that, you know, it just makes me happy as a data nerd. Um, but I, I I do have, um, you know, as we've been talking about this evolution of sports science and the applications uh, to the players, it got me thinking about something that I've only very recently started to notice at the um, professional level, mostly. Um, and it's an, in my opinion, I think it's probably going to be the next evolution of this whole sports science conversation. And it's not the the physical aspect, it's the mental one, right? So we've seen a couple of players this season so far come out and talk about, uh, you know, their battles with mental health and fatigue and, uh, you know, just external factors. You know, we've talked about last week, the, the yips, uh, some of those different things that pop up. Uh, so I, I'm just curious, you know, as people who are involved in the sports science um, with with players with uh, across all different demographics how do you see you know this this mental health portion uh layering either on top of or working alongside uh some of the work that you're you're all doing
5: you know for me as as we built these teams it was a critical part but i think it, it's it's often spoken about um but there's not a lot done about it you know yeah. i think the the mental component you can split it into a couple of things is the fatigue there's sort of the cognitive component of it which we frankly we we don't I don't know if we don't know enough about how to measure it and what to do with that information um, so that there's really not a ton in sport done on that side of it and then the psychological piece which is a growing field in sport it's still emerging for me in sport you know there's still a huge uh portion of general managers coaches that just don't believe in it you know um it's a huge issue in in sport cuz like from my level you've got a guy who just signed a 100 million dollar contract anyone wanna hear that guy complain about how sad he is <laughs> right you know but it's an incredibly lonely place for a, a 20 22 year old to be mm-hmm. because like when can they this person ever let their guard down right when can they really ever be themselves when when can they when can they like go out and enjoy a night out with their friends right and so it's quite lonely and quite boring for for a lot of these guys and then you're dealing with immense pressure you know we'll take david beckham for example still talks about the mental health battles he has you know dealing with that that incident that that was in 1998 mm-hmm. right and this is a guy that's been at the top you know, and, and is still at the top, and is still dealing with that. So, how we're helping these these young men and women deal with the pressures uh, of carrying a nation's hopes on their back, or or carrying a team's hopes on their back, and then the the vilification that can come if they don't perform every single night. You know, I I think it's a, a huge part that sits right alongside what what we do, because often and and you know I'll. I'll I'll turn over to, to Gina and Nixon here because y- your athletic trainers are, are really your first line of defense. They're, they're sort of your first aiders in the mental health world, you know, because that that kid's going to sit on the table with the trainer, and that's really one of the only places that they're safe to talk about this stuff. Hmm. Right, safe to let their guard down That And and I would get it sometimes in the weight room, but um, yeah, that that's where I see it fitting right in with what we do because. We're the ones that they talk to.
0: Gina, what's that look like for you at, at, at your level?
4: He's absolutely right. Like we we hear we hear all the gossip, we hear all the stories, we hear all the things. Um, the training room really is just kind of the place where everybody talks about everything. But then on, like on the flip side, one of my projects for this winter is we have all kinds of emergency action plans, but I need to write a mental health emergency action mm-hmm. plan. And we don't have one and nobody's ever told us to have one. But we have had instances where you hear a kid say something or somebody tells you a kid is thinking something, and you're like, we don't we don't have a plan for how to deal with this. It's a Saturday afternoon. What do I as who do I call who do i who do I pass that along to because that that's out of my realm of expertise, mm-hmm. but I sure know I need to get the right person involved. um
1: mm-hmm. uh, and just
4: for an example, last week, I have a a potential d one kid um playing football, I'll say with a season ending injury, junior year needs lots of film. And to me and my coworker, we're like, okay, you like you're set up with the surgeon. We're doing therapy. We're going to get you stronger before surgery, et cetera. Well, then my coworker talks to mom and mom says she can't get him out of bed. He's not showering. He's not doing all these things. And you forget that they're, they're He's a 16 year old kid but he's got all of this pressure on him because he's expected to get a division 1 scholarship and now he doesn't have film and now what are we going to do next year is his senior year like there's just all these things that even though we see these kids day in day out mm-hmm. i a i don't realize he's not showering and b like okay this is a little bit more going on
1: mm-hmm.
4: and i see this all the time so this is nothing to me this is the first time I'm He's gone through this situation and this is life altering to him and what he expects. So it's just, it's sometimes it's good to get those reminders that like, this is not as easy as I think it is. And this is a bigger deal than I think it is. And this affects him in more ways than I realize it's affecting him. Like you just, you don't get all the information all the time. And sometimes you need to take a step back and, and see what's actually happening. And Gina, I'm going to
0: make the assumption that, um, in your space, you've, you've got a lot of connections medically that you can make referrals to. And obviously you direct, direct, you know, kids to their family physicians and whatever it may be. But I'm, I'm guessing in that, in that mental health space, when you realize that a a student needs to talk to someone, you don't really have the, you don't really have the roster of folks to call on, right? Like Like people are more on their own.
4: There's counselors available, but I'm in the training room is not when the counselors or anybody else is in the building. So like, yeah, yeah we did have a a thing where we needed some help for somebody on like a Saturday afternoon. And that's when you like, you're like, hold up. What, who do I call? What do I do? This is not a university. People are not on call. Like, and again, they're still minors. So kind of everything needs to run through mom and dad. It gets complicated that you've got kids who don't, they might tell you something and they don't want mom and dad to know. Now, if it's a danger to anyone, of course you deal with that, but but there's just a lot of questions when they're minors and a uh, uh, school where Nixon has a different, he can kind of control those variables more and handle things on his own. Whereas I don't have that. that Cause, he's,
0: Cause he's only got 12 kids to worry about is what you're saying. Right. <laughs> Nixon, what do you think? What do you think on this, on this question from Steve? Uh,
3: you know, as I'm hearing, you know, you speak Dave and Steve and Mike, I I, I, Like, it just, my memories just kind of jogging back, right, to what, about 2012, 2013, when I actually was in the same space with Jeremy, and I, for the first time, actually got the sort of importance of, you know, a mental, you know, sports psychologist, you know, just because, you know, we were dealing with an athlete who came back from a very gruesome injury where, you know, he probably could have lost his leg, and just to see – how he was able to work with sports psych and to actually go on and to, to truly excel, you know, it was just just watching that, you know, that kind of gave you a, a true appreciation for what was happening. And then, then actually, I became a big, you know, believer and like, yo, this is important, you know, because people actually do. Because before that, I hadn't really understood mental health, you know, showing my age a little bit. But you know, then you know, you get to different spaces and you're like, yo. Like Jeremy said, like, we can't handle all of this. We need specialized people in different areas. And, like, let's approach it as a group, you know. You go to different teams and the first thing, hey, we don't have a mental health coach here. We need one. We need a sports psychologist here because, you know, mental health is real, you know, especially, well, I wouldn't say especially in this day and age, but it's just more awareness to it now, right? It's just probably more, much more awareness to it. And honestly, it's just it's, it's, it's so important right now, especially in this day and time, um, in my space right now in the university setting, you know, um, I'm fortunate, you know, like, you know, if something happens, I can go over to the next you know go over to the next building or a lot of times our sports sites they just come to practice and they're you know, just sitting there for practice and I hate anybody need to see me or whatever because sometimes you do have to bridge that relationship like hey you can trust this guy he's definitely going to help you you know much better than I can not because well, I'll probably tell you how to handle it's not professional you know so um but yeah no um yeah and like honestly the piggyback though on like what jeremy said like the evolution of sports science it's like you know nowadays it's not efficient it's really not efficient to try to do everything by yourself you know like there's so much like why not have a group of eight people who could like you know split up the pie and you make it much more efficient you know um Instead of trying to do everything yourself, like those days are gone. You know, you just sitting there like it's not in the best interest of anybody, not the club, not the athlete, not yourself, you know. Um, so anyway, just wanted to share that part.
5: Right. And, I'm i sorry, Outstanding. Gina, go ahead and even try to jump in.
4: Just, uh, from a mental health standpoint, it's going to filter up to you guys in those higher levels because oh, yeah. my kids are so much more open about therapy There's so much more, like I have a kid who leaves every Thursday and she's like, it's therapy Thursday. Like there's no shame in it. These kids don't care. It's such a thing to them that it's normal and accepted that you guys may not be there yet in the college and professional levels, but these teenagers are so much more open about it that it in a sport level, I, I think it is going to become just more of a just another day at the office where these kids are expecting more mental health help, if that makes sense.
0: That's interesting too, though, Gina, because I my experience in the school setting affirms that. I know that my wife, Beth, her experience affirms that as well. It'll be interesting when that happens as it trickles up the, the divide between old school coaches and that mindset and kids who are are much more transparent and open about that. There's a there's a collision those, there, wait, waiting to happen. Those right? people,
4: coaches aren't going to be connecting with those kids. You know, yeah, yeah. Like,
3: from what I'm seeing, though, I, I, from what I've seen, I feel like the coaches nowadays are really veering towards, "Hey, go get the extra help you need." Mm-hmm. It like that's just what I'm seeing. You know, nice. um, just because um, the world has changed, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah, the world really has changed. So, like that old school mentality is gone. Like you. Yeah, toughen up. No, no, there's so much going on. <laughs> gotcha.
0: Jeremy, did you have something more on,
3: on this one?
5: Yeah, just just the you know, to echo on these is that it really does reach every level. You know, I, I think we've we've seen very worryingly there's there's been a number of, of suicides within premiership academies, you know, with, with top football clubs back home. Um, you know, in, including my former uh, former group. So I think the you think about the access that the fan has to the players these days. It is so much greater than it was mm. when when we were coming up. You know, we talk about you know we're from a different era, and and these days it's more important. It sort of is, right? You've got these athletes who've got a million followers. You have a bad game, they they all got access right into your cell phone, mm-hmm. right? And they're they're sitting guys are coming off of the ice, the field. The first thing they do is open their phone. Right. And so they just got this stream of, of negativity if they've had a bad game or if they're on a bad run, you know, and, and it's vile stuff, you know, all that I mean, stuff is you... go into Beckham, but just, it, but it's on your phone. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it's everyone okay. gets their say. Yeah.
2: I can't, I can't imagine, uh, you know Roy Keane having a having a social media account back then because he probably <laughs> would have tried to seek out every single one of those people and, and yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah I'd in. say that would be true. I don't <laughs> that, think anyone that, that, would have dared leave anything other than a nice polite comment on Roy's uh, right. <laughs> social media, you know.
2: That's that that's just a yeah, and, and I, again, that's just a sign of the, the times and things, how things yeah. are changing.
3: Yeah, yeah I, one of the players one time, we're in the playoffs, you know, and he's on his phone and I'm like, wait, why are you on your phone, like it's just gonna be like Jeremy said, all bad stuff. And the player turns around and looks at me and he's like, Nixon, this is all I know. He's mm-hmm. like, I in the phone. And when he said that, I was like, whoa, you know, like it was just, I don't, I have a Twitter that I don't even have on my phone. I check it once every couple months, you know, but it's just like these, you know, younger athletes, you know it's kind of a part of them and you know it maybe that part of it triggers you know the mental health mm-hmm. issues that's going on you know does but uh, i'm just saying like oof. yeah
0: <laughs> mike i know you uh you had a question you wanted to throw out there what do you got for us
2: yeah so not not to pivot completely away from the mental health because this actually has um it's, it's not a natural segue, but it, it does have uh, a little bit, it plays a little bit into it, but um, I have always kind of been interested. I'm, I'm also a mental health prefer- or mental health. <laughs> um, uh, uh, <laughs> something of a scientist <laughs> myself. I'm a healthcare professional myself. Um, I like to look at data myself. myself. So <laughs> I, I like, uh, I, I, I see these, I see the physical injuries that happen and, um, that happened to a lot of, uh, I work at the university of Vermont medical center. So we do, we do treat a lot of the athletes and we see a lot of these athletes that, um, that post physical injury. But, um, my question actually has to do with nutrition and, and how that's come along because, um, when I was younger and, and I played, I played high school football and, and I know Vermont is not necessarily known as the, as a, as the, you know, the, the highest level of, of uh, high school athletics or football in in the country, uh, outside of maybe hockey. Um, but there was no, you know, we were always pushed to be bigger, stronger, faster. Um, and it was through weight training. It was through eating, but it wasn't, there wasn't no, never any kind of controlled diets or, or anything like that. Um, and then there was no education after your, after your, even your high school career and, 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 uh, for nutrition to, to help you to continue your life without, you know, it, with, without necessarily, uh, gaining 300 pounds because, because you didn't ever learn how to, you know, curb your, curb your eating or change your diet, um, from what you had been, you know, been eating when you were a, you know, an athlete because obviously exercise patterns change, uh, uh, what you're doing for exercise changes. Uh, some people just stopped exercising like myself. Um, and, you know, mostly because of an injury that, that forced me out of the sport, but, um, I am seeing it with my, my son in the younger and in, in, at the younger levels, he plays club soccer, um, uh, at, at one of the bigger clubs in Vermont and, they are they are pushing not just not just diet, but they're pushing um, and trying to fight against the the sports drink, uh, um, you know, the, the sports drink community, because, you know, you have all this new stuff out there, prime that claims to be a better sports drink than Gatorade and then Gatorade is trying to combat that with their own stuff. And then PD yeah. Light's doing something now. And like, Hey Mike, just all be, this different stuff,
0: just be careful here. Don't screw up our AG one uh, sponsorship. We're trying to get just, you I'm know, not, not going to, I'm not,
2: I'm not going to shit on them. So we'll, <laughs> all right, <we'll>, good. <laughs> we'll, I'm just saying. Um, so at the younger level of soccer, where I see my son, I, I and my son is very re- resistant to uh, to changing his diet to be, to be a more rounded athlete. Yeah. Uh, I call him snacks. Um, because, because he's how right. old, right? He's yeah. Because he's 11 and right. Uh, what he's, 11 year old. He's yeah. He, has, he, had, uh, he had bagel bites for, for dinner tonight. Um, solid, but his coaches, his coaches are, are, are pushing, uh, healthy diets. So how, how is nutrition, um, not necessarily grown, but how does that play into, um, each of each of your each of your jobs on a daily basis because I, I know jeremy had actually already mentioned it and that's kind of piqued my interest because um because a lot of a lot of our a lot of our sports injuries a lot of the mental health that happens after the the athlete's career is over has to do with some of their nutrition so how does that kind of how do you guys deal with that on a daily basis i
4: my setting is so different from theirs I just hope my kids have eaten um because they don't all have food at home some do some don't um they're we buy granola bars out of our own money for the kids who come in and they're like I'm gonna pass out I'm well did you eat today no okay well here's a granola bar go go try to finish um and then even my like my future d1 kids I've got some elite athletes that come in before four hours before a football game, smashing McDonald's and Chick-fil-A. So like we can talk till we're blue in the face, but they don't want to hear it yet. And I don't think they'll really make those changes until they're actually in college and see like, Oh, maybe I really shouldn't be eating. A baconator. When they're,
2: when they're in like a more controlled environment, where
4: yes, yes. So, so
0: Nixon, as they as they come to your level, do you see that transition happen? Do you see eighteen-year-olds eating eating Big Macs and nineteen-year-olds getting it together, or how's that play out?
2: So you would never allow that. So
3: you <laughs> see a lot of them will come in, and you know they're a little messy with their diets and hmm. eating, but our nutritionists, they'll jump on them from right, right away. They do a a nutrition screen when we're, as a part of the intake, you know, there's mental health screen, there's nutrition screen. So if somebody's flagged, you know, which is really helpful for me, the nutritionist, you know, Hey, this person was flagged. I need to sit and visit with them and educate them with, and that makes my life much easier because what they do is then they'll go in and then they'll help. Make a plan for this to and educate this athlete. You know, hey, you know, you can't eat just you know whatever sour patches before practice. You know, how about this? And you're teaching them elite habits, you know, and behaviors and like how to treat yourself to be able to um, compete at this level. You know, and I wish I had a picture for you guys to see right now because we have a huge nutrition station in the practice facility, right between the weight room and the training room. So as the kids walk down the stairs and it's all educational, like, you know, they'd say, hey, this is probably what you wanna eat before practice to fuel yourself. This is what you wanna eat post-practice to fuel yourself. Hey, during practice, if you're hungry, you probably wanna snack on this. So MySpace, they do a really good job of really um, transitioning the students from, you know, Yancey's level to, you know, to Jeremy's level, you know, so I'm like right in between. So I I actually get to physically see the transition of, Hey, let's change your habits. You know, no, you can't eat too many chicken nuggets and think that you're going to be okay. You know? So like for me, like that's just how I um, see everything for me.
0: So, so Jeremy, um, we, we, uh, we support a club who, you know, had a, a manager recently who we like to call the football terrorist a guy named antonio conte who famously came in and uh did away with ketchup <laughs> in the uh in the in the, the, the cafeteria space <laughs> what's how, how which intense. i'm fine with
2: just so you know i'm, I, I'm fine with him getting rid of ketchup uh, Ketchup is delicious with, with certain things
0: but yeah not the worst thing he's done but jeremy <laughs> like how intense or not is that at, at, at the highest levels of sport what's that look like
5: yeah um not particularly you know it, it it varies massively you know i think you know nix and i had one athlete you know when we worked together who would hide in the stall in uh chicken fingers before games uh in the bathroom stall like in the bathroom <laughs> stall. yeah like, that, that's a true story wait feet um, up feet up so you oh, yeah, yeah, like literally hiding yeah feet up <laughs> eating chicken fingers in the bathroom stall <laughs> Yeah, need to talk um, to the
0: therapist about that one, didn't they? Yeah,
5: exactly. <laughs> right, so he's hiding because he knows he's not supposed to. Yeah, and, and so I think you know the background that people have come up in, like a lot of these guys are going to be really good, right? They're good at their sport, and they're going to get away with it. Mm. So there's still a massive component of education when they get to the pros, you know, because everyone doesn't come through a, a system like like Nixon Scott. And so we still have a big job to educate people, and and I think what I've always tried to do is create an environment where they it sort of happens to them, right? We we create the environment where the food we feed them is absolutely elite, right? It's unbelievable quality. It's organic. It's it's super healthy. It's it's the exact nutrients they need, sort of what they need and when they need it. And so you can put them into a system that they sort of can't escape from. And we control, let's say, two or three of their four or five meals that they have in a day. Hmm. And so let's try and do as much as we good as we can with those, knowing that we don't control the rest of their day. That's where the education piece takes over. And usually we get to them, either they have a big injury, and we and we get to spend some time with them or they start getting older, right? And they start not getting away with it anymore. And they come and say, okay, I got to change some stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then you got to start looking at, well, nutrition, it's a number of things. First and foremost, it's what your body's built out of, right? You change over every cell in your body every two years. So you're currently building your your future self, like physically. And so what, what do you want to be built out of? So we start on that level. that's, that's just healthy eating. That's for, for us, that's for your elite athletes. It's all the same. Then you add in the layers of sports nutrition where, okay, now we go from it being building blocks, but it's also fuel, right? It's fuel, it's recovery. It's all these other factors around, around health. So what, when do you need your carbohydrates? What form should they come in? You know, all these, these really, really advanced applications of then, okay, when are we putting creatine? When are we putting caffeine? all leverage on all these little, little scientific, uh, tweaks to the body. These are the things that we can start escalating nutrition to a level once you've built that base. Cause a lot of people look at sports nutrition and be like, okay, when do I need my creatine? When should I take a protein powder whilst eating 20 chicken nuggets for every meal, every, the rest of the day, right? Well, sorry, your creatine's not going to cut it. You know, you're going to need to <laughs> clean things up a little bit. So I think that that's sort of where we're at with nutrition, but it, it's a hugely emerging field. You know, now we've got our first full-time nutritionists coming into the pro teams now, um, where they're traveling with the teams, they're coordinating the menus. Because you think about the logistics of pro sport, we've got the plane, we've got the the home game rink, we've got the practice arena, we've got the the road uh, arena, we've got the snacks that we travel with. So the logistics around coordinating nutrition are absolutely immense, you know, just coordinating the menus of what are we having and when and why, you know, before we even get to, okay, this guy's injured, does he need to increase his calories or decrease them, you know, depending on the surgeries that that they're having, you know, so tons going on there.
0: Jeremy, so- because I know Steve, I can see his wheels turning like, he's literally the it's going, what, what do you have, Steve?
1: I think just I know Real quick, too. Just real quick, <laughs> you know, we've we, you spoke a lot about, uh, you know, the role of nutrition and this elite level nutrition. I just want to read you a quote from one of our players. And I just want you guys to just really quickly react to this. This is James Madison uh, from Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, his post-match meal, uh, he says, I'll have a big chippy. That's my recharge meal. I-, I love a big chippy, fish, chips, sausage, curry sauce covered in salted vinegar. How does that make you feel? I feel good. I feel <laughs> gross. I mean,
5: <laughs> look, if you're going to have it, that's when you're going to have it.
1: There
5: you go. <laughs> hey, look, like, okay. Let's, and this is where, this is where I've softened a little bit on nutrition. I've, I mean, like I was, when I was at the college level, I was like fiercely like on top of nutrition. Like people would, would like leave restaurants when they saw me coming in. If I ran into kids in town, like I was, was pretty harsh about it, but then like, I think the longer you go on, the more you realize that your, your athletes, they're not nutrition majors and they're not exercise science students. They don't care about that stuff. Right. And, and so the more strict you become, the more they're going to push back. Right. So if you look, let's break down that meal, he's going to the chippy, right? So What he's just done is run 15 kilometers in a game, sprinting, right? In a a 100 by 50 meter pitch, right? That's hard to do. So he's just burned 5,000 calories plus. So he's getting a ton of carbohydrates, right? Which he's just completely depleted his his carbohydrate stores. So his chips, he's getting a, a ton of carbohydrates. His fish, his sausage, he's getting some protein. There might be some healthy fats hidden in there somewhere like that didn't get <laughs> <laughs> traded Ab- by the, the fried fish oil. Right. Absolutely. So yes. hiding somewhere in the fish there, there was probably some, some healthy fats at some point. Now I don't want him doing this after every game. Like let, let's, let's be real clear. Like there, there's some, some really, really bad and powerful and bad effects that can come from this, this deep fried food. Um, but but Spurs Obitually. only play on,
0: Spurs only play on the weekend now, so like we don't have that problem this season. Well, right? yeah, and <laughs> they're not worried worried out. About
5: competing for titles and championships <laughs> right. and all this sort of stuff. So you, you know, no <laughs>
2: mid-season matches take we're a lot of pressure
5: mid-week. off. You know? <laughs> no, it, he's it, also
2: twenty-three, so his body bounces
5: back. Well, and he, exactly right, and so <laughs> this Astrid. is what, sort of what we're talking about. He's not going to see the the body fat creeping up. He's not going to see some of the negative effects on that right away. And if, if we're just doing that, you know, if that's a once a week thing and it's after a game and it and it's it, like your you treat meal, okay, right? You go at it. It's not going to kill you. Now, when we start seeing a guy's body fat creeping up and you find out he's actually doing that four nights a week, mm-hmm. right? Now it's going to start impacting his performance, right? So So this is where there's, again, it's what nutrition and when. Is the important thing. How are we timing our nutrients? Are we having a, a cheat meal? Are we giving the guys a treat? Because that's a mental health break. Like it is brutal to eat like boiled chicken and, and veggies, you know, every night. Like, holy crap, that that's that's heavy going right there. Um, so giving them a little mental health break with the food is huge. Because also think about how much emotion's tied into food right emotional eating like all these people come at food with so much stuff so if you start taking that on so much tradition and you start going head on and being the and opposing that man you, you can get yourself in trouble in these pro clubs as, as i have done on a number of occasions
1: <laughs> Really, you, that's
0: that's <laughs> really interesting hey let's stay on the nutrition tip i think it's time for our uh our midstream intermission if if uh yes. the group doesn't mind and by the way for our guests i bet we probably got another probably got another half hour in us here so if you have to go no offense will be taken but if you're able to stick around for another another 30 that would that'd be great um midstream break